Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. I'm Kathy Barrett, and life is something we shouldn't do alone. So I hope you'll spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain. Happy Valentine's Day to all you lovely people out there. It's so great to have a day dedicated to love, isn't it? We celebrate this Valentine's Day by discussing unity and peace and the healing of race relations in America with our special guest, Dr. Kitty Oliver, producer, author, oral historian, journalist, and writing professor on race and ethnic relations. Dr. Oliver has pioneered the cross-cultural race and change research project in South Florida, which has resulted in a historical archive on race and has been featured on CNN's Black in America. She is producer and host of the 10-part series Crossing Cultures, Changing Lives, and has authored three books. Dr. Kitty Oliver, it's so great and an honor to have you on this program today, and happy Valentine's Day to you. Oh, happy Valentine's Day to you, too, and all of the listeners. Well, I think your work is amazing, and before we get to it, I wanted to take a moment in the spirit of racial healing. I'd like to pay tribute to those who died at the hands of hatred and discrimination and to those who survived and to those who have dedicated their lives to ensure equality for all, to all of you courageous souls whose vision and determination inspired a blind nation to see again. This is Dr. Kitty Oliver performing her composition, Mighty World. Your hand 
in my hand My heart to your heart What a mighty love I see When you call I answer If I cry you comfort Now that's a mighty love to me All around us signs appear Telling us there is no fear When we wake to the beauty of all that we are What a mighty
had to come and live on campus for two years. It was a pivotal experience for me, and it really set me off on this journey I've been on about race relations and change because I had come from an environment that was totally black in the segregated South growing up in um, North Florida in Jacksonville, where the only white person I might see would be um, um, an insurance man who'd come into the neighborhood. Uh, or um, once in a while someone my mother worked for or with might bring her home. But we were, it was apartheid like a lot of people can't imagine perhaps anymore. So not having, going from not having any contact with anyone of difference, um, certainly anyone who was white, to this environment of having to live and and find a way to uh, get along with these people who were just strange entities to me was, was a powerful experience. And we were there on a campus where we weren't really attacked, but there are other assaults to the spirit that can happen, like being ignored, mm-hmm. being invisible, not counting and not mattering, <laughs> yeah. uh, which um, can have a profound effect on a lot of people, and um, not being listened to and not being heard. So it was an effort. It took me um, about a year to begin to find a, a comfort level there, and I found it in writing. I found it in an honors English class. I found it in music. Um, because I did start uh, performing while I was on campus, and I managed to become uh, sort of active as a result. But in that environment with those girls over those two years until I moved off campus, I had a chance to see what we had in common. Mm. And they, of course, had a chance to learn the same thing about me and the roommate I was randomly assigned, who happened to be the only other black female (laughs) coming in. Wow. But they called it a random assignment. <laughs> yes, quite um, random. And, and the interesting thing out of that was she came from a different part of the state with a totally different experience, and we really did not have a lot in common other than being the same color. And after a while, our paths really um, um, diverged, and she went off in one direction and I in the other, and I found... Uh, you know, girls within that living situation who uh, I bonded with much more strongly. And so that was an awakening for me. But I will tell you one experience that became pivotal that I um, ended up writing about was um, one white girl who had come in the year after me, and I was her uh, big sister writing her over the summer, letting her know about things that were happening on campus and just helping her to adjust when she uh, enrolled in when she came to campus. So we became friendly over that semester, and I guess near the end of the semester, we're having a little gap fest one evening, and she said, I want to tell you something. She said, when I saw that you were my big sister who had been writing me, and I, when I got to the dorm, she said, I really um, was upset. I couldn't stand it. I thought it was terrible, and when you invited me to go out to eat, as we did as a group, she said, I didn't want to be seen with you. And but she said, I don't feel that way now. And it was pivotal, I, I keep saying, because when we have these instances where there's 
conflict or potential conflict, we really have a choice in what decision we make about how to deal with it. I realized she was trying to share very honestly with me what her feelings had been and how she had changed, but I also realized there was a gap very often in perceptions across races that I needed to also be aware of. And the key to me, too, is the way that in which you handled it, which was you had a choice and you chose to see what you had in common. Mm-hmm. And that's a pivotal point right there because most people uh, kind of get sidetracked with their fears and uh, with their ignorant understanding of what is unknowingly sometimes. and But yet you, despite everything that you were up against, you still chose to walk down the path that was positive, to to look for how you can build a bridge with people, not how to disrupt the relationship. And I think that is something I'm, I'm constantly interested in, in us as human beings, how some of some people have that ability to build bridges. And um, we have a lot of study and we have a lot of information and we have a lot of conversation about people who cannot or will not open their hearts Mm. and love no matter what happens, people who are bigoted, people who do discriminate. We study it, we talk about it, we look for examples that reaffirm it, and it's curious to me that we don't spend, you know, that same kind of energy looking at people who build bridges because that in itself is also an interesting trait. We tend to want to say, oh, yeah, well, that's that's nice, or oh, you're, you're just um, uh, an optimist or you're not a realist. Well, that's we very true. We tend to discount that in some way. Yeah, and we shouldn't be. I mean, that's the thing we really should be focusing on. So I wanted to um, talk to people out there listening or share with them uh, what the Race and Change Project is and how it came into existence. Well, out of this experience and then becoming a journalist living in the UF experience and then becoming a journalist in South Florida as it was becoming increasingly diverse, I was seeing people coming from other parts of the country and then from other countries and um, as as immigrants and feeling like they either didn't quite fit into the area or into the U.S. culture and also that they were dealing with what they had to lose and how they uh, and how they had to adapt in order to fit into American culture and I and their experiences the more they talked were very similar to mine in being like an immigrant that journey I, I just described for you, where I went from the old world to the new world. I had to adapt and change. I had loss. I had to decide how much I was going to acculturate and um, and to build new relationships. So I started studying that. But I, then I wanted to also hear how other people, uh, black, white, Hispanic, and Asian around my age had dealt with that immigrant experience of racial change, people who came of age with the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. especially the the uh, in the mid-60s, because we grew up in one kind of world, and then the world changed, right. and we had to adapt and change as a result. 
So it just snowballed. I began um, finding a, a steady area in South Florida and the Hollywood, Florida area, which Money Magazine had touted as having the demographics of what the U.S. was going to look like by the year 2025 in terms of its uh, diversity. So I made that my study area, started interviewing people, interviewed about 42 uh, people and wrote a book and a television documentary for uh, that aired on uh, PBS. And then it was put in the schools. And then I started teaching this process, this race and change process to students at Florida Atlantic University. And we went out to other parts of South Florida and now we have an archive of um, 125 interviews with a cross-section of whites, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians from a variety of backgrounds, all sharing their life histories and also their experiences with race over time. And um, having that kind of dialogue has been very powerful, having it in the historical archives for researchers to use, um, having it used by students. I also did the television documentary uh, series that you mentioned, uh, Crossing Cultures, Changing Lives, where I interviewed even more people going into the homes and lives of people who are living with differences to have what I call a more normalized conversation about our differences, like you and I would have now, or like we have around the in the living room, around the dinner table, but have it be a public conversation where people talk about their experiences in a non-confrontational way. So all of this has gone from the archives to the television show to um, radio now, and now with the multimedia website, the Race and Change Initiative. Um, we have an iTunes channel called Voices of Race and Change, Oral histories there. There are podcasts on race relations and change, and there's now an intergenerational component called Voices of Race and Change for Younger Generation, where college students and immigrant teenagers are recording their stories, and we're putting them up on the web. That is really exciting. I I just am so inspired by this work because. It's not only important to document, but it's it's really important to have these conversations with each other. And that's the only way to keep building the bridges with each other, is to learn what we, as you pointed out uh, so beautifully, is to learn what we have in common, to see that we're all connected, and to be able to, you know, have these conversations, again, as you pointed out, with the freedom that you can speak, despite the fact if if uh, there is someone just discovering that, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that I was discriminating. You know, there's a lot of people that don't recognize uh, the behavior. So to be able to talk and converse about it and be in communities and keep opening that conversation, I think, is really, really important to the uh, continuance of, of healing uh, racism in America. It's important on two levels in terms of society very definitely the more we can talk as i call it in a non-confrontational way instead of waiting for these little hot button issues to arise and then we start having the flurry of opinion and anger and claims and counterclaims and then it dissolves and we 
really, you know, we go to our separate corners. Having this kind of dialogue becomes a personal growth experience, as the people who have been interviewed have told me, because it is asking them to think about and verbalize some things they really hadn't processed before. And so it's a conversation we don't have a lot of experience yet in having. And so the more, mainly because nobody has asked or no one has listened. Right. And so by giving that opportunity where people can talk about your experiences, not about what you heard or about the generalizations that we tend to use, but what did you experience? What was it like then? And how... Have you changed? How did things change as a result of it? And that's what Race and Change Project is always about. It is about not just the conflicts and um, difficulties you may have had, but how did you grow from that? Why was that so important that you continue to remember it? What decision did you make around that as a result? Really great stuff. I I would like to stop and um, play a clip that you sent me, and why don't you tell the listeners what it is? All right. This is um, um, an excerpt from one of the oral histories uh, we collected in the area around um, um, in Delray Beach, which is um, um, near the Lake Okeechobee area. Anyway, this was a woman who uh, was one of the first black students at a white high school in um, in the mid-1960s and had some traumatic experiences and all. But she's sharing something that happened to her much later on in life that became so profound. And here we go. I went to a seminar because of of, of the my church that I go to and the things that I'm involved with. We're multicultural as well. I went to a seminar on inner healing and... Uh, Integration happened to be an issue that came up for me as someone was talking to me, and they, a white male and a white female end, ended up, and a Chinese female ended up coming before me and apologizing <sighs> for all of the hurt and the pain that had been caused, and it was good. It was good. It was caused healing. Caused healing to come. I didn't go looking for it. It just came to me. And it's so powerful. I mean, it's it really moved me. It, it just took two words, spoken compassionately and from the heart, to soothe the emotional scars that this woman carried with her probably for most of her life. And in, in our encounters, I think that that's one of the questions we uh, need to ask. What is your intention? What is your purpose? Is it to make a point? Is it to be right? Is it to stay where you are? Or is it to listen and learn? And if your intention is to listen and learn, we all grow in the process, as she did. She was able to lay down some of those burdens of that, the pain of that integration experience just by the action of those people at that meeting. Really something. And how do you track people to come and tell their stories to your archive? At this point, it, um, it it's a matter of selecting an area 
that um, to study, and we have them around the country. If there's anybody who's interested in doing this kind of work, any area where you have an influx of a lot of um, new people, where the community is changing, is ripe for this kind of discussion because it's a way of drawing people in across cultures. So the areas I have gone to have been the communities that have been experiencing racial and uh, ethnic change. Mm-hmm. And so they have been receptive to having an oral historian come in who is going to try to touch bases with a lot of segments of their uh, community and then have it have them all reflected by having their uh, stories. The interesting thing, and I did just want to quickly say, is the same instrument, um, the same interview questions I ask wherever um, I go in the project, I've taken to uh, Ghana, West Africa, and I have six interviews already done there. So imagine asking people in Africa questions about race. Wow. <laughs> because race really, in, in this general global way, talks, is, is about differences, however you describe those differences, but it's where people are classified as the other and treated in, in in a certain way that can end up causing schisms in society. But they were also able to look at ethnic differences in their country as well as racial differences in the U.S. That's really amazing. I want to tell everyone that if you want to find out more information about Dr. Kitty Oliver, she has written three fantastic books and about all of the different uh, programs that she's created and involved in. Go to www.kittyoliveronline.com. And uh, anything else you want to mention, Dr. Oliver, other websites for people? Well, I think the most important thing is this, that this is an intergenerational work. We may start with stories about the past and having people begin to reflect on how that shaped their attitudes and who they are today, but then to have those stories shared with younger people who are longing for us elders to fill in the gaps and give them some hope. Mm. So it's more than just digging up the past and and trying to come to terms with it. It's coming to terms with it so that the message from our past, which is one, I believe, of hope and progress and resilience over difficult odds, can be passed on now to our the younger generation to know that they, too, can deal with, confront, and overcome whatever issues they're going to be encountering. And I find that young people are hungry to hear these kind of stories. That's an excellent point to bring up. And uh, I can't believe the time has just uh, flown by. It's just insane, isn't it? I wanted to talk to you about so much more, so you will have to come back. I, I hope you will come back, because I'd like to get deeper into some of these projects and also... I'm in the uh, process of reading your book, Multicolored Memories of a Black Southern Girl, and you take us on such an amazing personal journey as you research your ancestry. It's just so beautifully written. I mean, your style, uh, it's its just incredible. It's just very prose-like. I really go off into a different universe when I'm reading this book, and all of the compassion and the love that you put in everything that you do, its it, you really feel it when you hear you sing and when you read your words. And so it's really been an honor to have you on the program. And I, again, uh, strongly recommend that you folks go out 
and uh, tap into all of the fabulous things that Dr. Kitty Oliver has to offer you. So go to www.kittyoliveronline.com. It was an honor. I hope you'll come back. I, I too, want to apologize to anyone who has had to endure discrimination. We are connected. We are one. We are all part of the same human race. What a lovely way to end our chat. Well, I'm going to bring the folks out with another song uh, that you composed and wrote the lyrics for and sing. Uh, called Sing Spirit. I just want to remind folks that next week we have Bryony Bax, who began the Orphan Support League in 2007. She's been working tirelessly for orphans and displaced children around the world. Now, Bryony will be coming to us live from across the pond in the UK. This is very exciting for Behind the Curtain as the show officially places us in the global market. So please tune in and help me welcome our British friends. This is Kathy Barrett. And Dr. Kitty Oliver, sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. So great to have you along on this journey, and uh, I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. And here is Sing Spirit by Dr. Kitty Oliver.
Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.